to the Cinderella podcast, where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing the same story over and over until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watched Sepia Cinderella, which was made in 1947 and is the all-black showgirl Cinderella. Yep. It is also not the same story. We have not seen this story before. This is a new story. This is a new story. Uh, we're going to have to have some conversations about whether or not this actually falls under a Cinderella category. This is called a race film. And just from like a quick Wikipedia perusal, it's a film that was made in the 40s that was geared specifically towards Black audiences and had Black actors, not necessarily written and directed by someone Black. So your mileage will vary on like how authentic the portrayal is. I also found through Googling that there were across America 684 theaters in 1947 that were specifically Black theaters, which meant that Black people could sit normally in them and not have to sit in like the balcony or the very back or stand. So this was, there were a series of movies that were made that were like this. And some of them are delightful. Um, Stormy Weather is the best version, in my opinion, has Cap Calloway in it. This one supposedly has Sidney Poitier in it as an extra, uncredited. Yep. I did not notice, but he's in there. So I was really excited to learn that this has Freddie Bartholomew in it. My excitement was deeply unwarranted, but I grew up with a bunch of 1930s movies. So I am used to seeing Freddie Bartholomew as a child, as Little Lord Fauntleroy, and as whatever the horrible child's name is in Captain's Courageous, which is one of the best movies ever made. He's known for playing like little prissy English boys. Yeah, with either really good heart, because he's English, which is why his boston new york accent in this was just i was i mean we'll get to it but i had a full-on mental breakdown so that's the background on this and um you know spoilers i had a much better time than i was anticipating this this was fine i was really worried that there would be a lot of stereotypes and you get like a little bit of caricature but it was actually like very immersive and I thought it was very good there there were some caricatures of just overacting and sort of slapstick acting just very broad but there were caricatures in basically all different directions so it was just the way that one caricatures a character for a film rather than this person's black let's make them do a bunch of very stereotypical black things for funniness so it didn't feel, the black part did not feel racially charged. There was an Asian moment, which I hated, but most yeah. of it was fine. So we get title cards and at the bottom, there's like a little carriage and horses motif, which mm -hmm. I thought was very cute. And there's cute. a lot of upbeat music and the title cards go on for a while. And then we see the musicians that are playing the music that's been playing in the background. And I thought that was like a very cute transition into the movie. It is also where I realized that I don't know what any musical instruments are because <laughs> I tried to write down 
when the different musicians had different solos and I was like oh I thought the last one was a saxophone but now I think that this one is a saxophone but they're very different looking so maybe one of them was a trumpet but don't quote me on that I want to just take this moment none of the things played were a saxophone there were no saxophones in there cool there was great there, there was an upright bass there were some snare drums there was a trumpet you're correct about that okay um, and there were there was piano there were no saxophones <laughs> okay it, it looked like it had the curvy bit and they were holding it up vertically uh, may, instead may, of maybe there was i didn't see it but i i did not i saw i did no google saxophone. what a saxophone was and I did feel pretty confident about that one, but that's okay. That's okay. We can move on. Let's move on. Um, so this is just a group of people playing in essentially a dining room. This is our primary location. Our primary domestic location is a boarding house. And the people that stay there are largely musicians. And so they're just basically having a jam in the dining room. This makes perfect sense to me. I grew up with a bunch of musicians and I'm used to having random musician jam sessions just break out in various locales. So this struck me as completely normal. I thought it was very cute. There's two ladies having an amazing time listening to them. Um, there's an older one and that's Mama Keys and she's the owner of the boarding house mm -hmm. and also the adoptive parent of Barbara who's the younger one and she's like in her early 20s and they're uh, yeah. both and they're both like smiling and kind of dancing in their chairs like they're vibing they're having a really good time their hair is done up in victory rolls uh, which are those really pretty very just 1940s world war ii hairstyles that were really popular mama keys i thought that she was the grandmother did you not get that vibe i don't think she's the grandmother whether she's her grandmother or not, she raised Barbara. Yes. And Barbara tells her later on that that she was a wonderful parent. No one could have been a better mother. Yes. So this is the mother figure. Barbara's also got these incredibly expressive eyebrows. Yes. They're like very angled. Phenomenal. Just incredible eyebrows. And like a gorgeous light up the room smile. She is so pretty. She's dressed very plainly in this, but it's the 1940s were sort of the peak of regular people just dressing awesomely. So everything fits really well. Everything's tailored. Everything is a nice cut. Everything looks good. I liked it. So the, the song finishes and the ladies clap and Mama Keys says that they need to clear out so that she can make dinner. And we get sort of the exposition about their relationship to one another. And we find out that Barbara has been an excellent child who never gave Mama Keys any trouble at all until that Bob Jordan moved in and she's been making eyes at him. She's um, been making soulful eyes at him. Soulful eyes. Did I say Jim Jordan? I said I meant Bob Jordan. No, you, you said Bob Jordan. Okay, thank God. So he is one of the boarders at this boarding house. And she says that he plays so beautifully that uh, she's just entranced with him and that it's in her blood because both of her parents were musicians. And she also wants to be a singer and a dancer. We get a really fun joke that they make as they leave. One of the guys who lives there 
is religious, but he also likes pie. And they make a joke that he's very pious. <laughs> and it made me so happy. We cut to a fortune teller's tent. This, as we find out, is the great Joseph. And he is wearing a turban and sort of robe things that look like they're kind of shiny. He's got a crystal ball in front of him. And there's two fellows there visiting the great Joseph to get their fortune told, their future told, something. It's unclear. And Joseph is unable to get a reading on the first fellow. The second one proceeds to just put on an entire razzing, hazing comedy routine, just ribbing the other guy about how he looks and how if, if he, the talker, was in charge, he'd, he'd put his mouth on top of his head so he could just put his sandwich on his head and put his hat on and he could eat while he walked and he'd give him uh, an extra eye on his finger so he could look around corners and make sure things were safe. It just goes on. It's a full-on stand-up comedy routine. It goes on forever. He roasts him. He just it's, roasts the crap out of him. It's so funny. It's so good. It starts because uh, the great Joseph looks into three separate crystal balls and still can't see the future and says, I don't see anything. And the guy goes, well, I've been looking at him all my life and I ain't never seen nothing. Then we're done with that scene. I guess we introduce those characters. We see them again at the table. Yeah, so we, we then cut back to dinner where the three of them are sitting down to dinner all next to one another, like all in a row and kind of fighting over who gets this platter of chicken. They come in a set. Like starting with this moment when we see the great Joseph, they're just there and they're mm -hmm. hanging out and they're just making like one-liners and they're those two guys. Yep. Bob is seated next to Barbara at this dinner. And this is where we find out that he's working on a song and she offers to go over it after dinner with him. So next we cut to them sitting at a piano and he's kind of like ready to give up. So he's, he's tootling this Cinderella song. It has no melody. It has these impossibly weird musical jumps. So it'll be like Cinderella, la la, la la. Like it's just weird. It's a weird song. It's not going well. And he's basically ready to just give it up to say, oh, I'll never write a song. I'll just go back to playing piano. And she does that thing where she basically fixes all of his problems. She just goes, you know, why don't you put in a line in there about Prince Charming? And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. And she goes, maybe you should put some love into this song. It's a love song after all. And he goes, you're right. I should. He just, he seems helpless. She not only solves all of his problems, she does it while giving him a pep talk. And yeah. it's like, you're not a quitter. I'm ashamed to hear you say that. You know, you can do this. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And he tells her love. What do I know about love? I've never been in love. And the whole time she starts out on the other side of the piano and she keeps getting closer and closer to him. And mm -hmm. by the end of the scene, they're sharing the piano bench and she's got like an arm wrapped around him. And she's like singing with him about love and he's gotten zero hint. Nope. This dude's theme will be bumbling buffoon. He's just, he's, 
I'm going to go with this is the biggest himbo character we've ever seen. So we're told that he's very handsome, but he's kind of like generically handsome. Like to me, he's kind of plain looking. So they finish singing the song and we immediately cut to a montage of records of that song, which is the Cinderella song. Overlaid with musical instruments and club names and newspapers. So we are given to understand that this song, despite it being a terrible song that he can't sing and it's way too high for him, has become a massive hit and everyone loves it. So there's a very fancy party and there's people just milling around in fancy clothes and a fancy older woman introduces Bob to Vivian, who was late to the party. And Vivian is an incredibly fancy lady who has a lot of sway. And she's very like influential. And she's also very into Bob. We get the line from the introductory lady, I'll leave you two alone to get better acquainted. <laughs> the pauses were fabulous. And then we get to Barbara sitting alone at the window, staying up, just waiting to see if he comes home to hear how it all went. Oh, and she flings her head into her hands. Yes. And it's just extremely sad. And Mama Keys comes in and with motherly instinct goes, oh, honey, you know, what's wrong? Tell me what's, what's happening. And Barbara, she wants, she's wondering where Bob is. She Mom. says that she's looking out at the lights of the big city, wondering where Bob is and who he's meeting. Yeah. And Mama Key says, I hope success hasn't gone to his head. So Barbara kind of defends him and says, it's the big city. Of course, he's caught up in it. There isn't much excitement for him around here. And then she immediately starts sobbing, like big sobs. Big sobs. And she interrupts her sobs to sobbingly say that she's so happy that he got his big break mm -hmm. she's also thrown herself onto her bed and mama keys is sitting beside her sort of patting her shoulder and making soothing noises the way that mothers do when they are faced with a distraught child and barbara just keeps sobbing about how she's going to have to get a job but all she wants to do is sing and join the theater and one of the three lines here is that she was responsible for his head. Yeah. And Mama Keys is like, you were responsible for his head. And Barbara keeps insisting that, no, no, he deserves this. He did this. It's his song. Mm -hmm. But she clearly did for him. a lot of work on it. Yeah. Like uh, the majority of it. Mama Keys is basically tucking her into bed. She's run out of soothing and is at the... Okay, well, you're going to need to sleep it off then, honey, Sage. Yeah. And Barbara's like, well, I couldn't sleep. I'm just, I'm so upset. Maybe I'll read a book. And we got the line, no book reading, young lady. And I felt personally attacked. It was immediately followed by the line, you're not too old to get spanked. <laughs> I missed that line. I was laughing too hard. At which point, Barbara very sensibly goes, good night, Mama Keys. <laughs> so we cut back to the great Joseph and his fortune-telling tent. And we get a very, very upsetting depiction of an Asian gentleman coming to get his fortune told. 
they've literally drawn eyeliner on this dude and he's doing a very extreme caricature of someone of Asian descent who has learned English as their second language. And I don't remember what happened in this scene because I hated it. It happens and then it ends and it was racially insensitive. It never comes back. So we cut to Vivian, who's the fancy lady from the party, calling Bob deliciously naive and yes. just kind of spreading out on a chair and rolling her like bare shoulders backwards. Can I describe Vivian's dress, please? Please describe Vivian and her dress. Okay. So Vivian's hair is done up in a bunch of really, really large sort of can curls, just really big curls. She's wearing a strapless dress with a tight bodice and sort of a gently ruched skirt. But she's got like boob umbrellas. She has a collar that is across her neckline of this strapless backless dress but the collar goes out over her breasts like a balcony or an umbrella so she's just got two like boob umbrellas on her dress and I couldn't focus on anything else she's got a very gaudy necklace and very gaudy huge earrings as well that are all tasselly but she's just got these titty umbrellas and I couldn't I was just I was dying over here I thought it just looked like a weird ruffle. It was not that bad. It was so bad, guys. So she convinces Bob to go out onto the terrace and is basically kind of, she's seducing him. He doesn't know he's being seduced. He might not be very susceptible to being seduced just because he's very bad at picking up on romantic signals mm-hmm. but she's like all over him and she's like oh it's so warm in here let's get a breath of fresh air outside vivian will be our bad girl seducer yes. for this movie she is our primary villain so she lets them know that the manager is a dear friend of hers and that she thinks that he's so wonderful that he should be the headliner the headliner at the Swan Club, which mm-hmm. is like the fanciest club. Yep. She also tells him that she's not interested in the band. She's interested in him. And he still doesn't seem to pick it up. He's just not like particularly socially intuitive. He's really not. But we cut back to the boarding house. Barbara is sad and mopey and is has a dressing gown on and is wandering around this empty house late at night. And this is the same night, I believe. I think it is. So she's snuck out of bed. So she wanders sadly over to the piano and sadly plays a discordant note. And then Bob shows up and he goes, oh, I'm so happy you're still up. It's got to be three in the morning. It's Mm got to be so late. And he goes, oh, I'm so glad you're still up. Also, gosh, I sure am hungry. And she responds. She's just so happy that he's home. And she's positive that Mama Keys left a plate of something because People who run boarding houses are not stupid and know that there needs to be food around for people who come in at weird hours. So she just goes and pulls out this massive plate of sandwiches and a big jar of milk. And uh, they, they talk about his evening. Well, in an incredibly tone-deaf move, oh, he goes, right. you'll never guess what happened to me tonight. I met a very influential woman 
can you imagine a wealthy, beautiful woman falling for me? Oh, I was so toned up. And Barbara's so sad. She's just, she's still there. She's still being supportive of him, but you can just watch all the hopes and dreams fade out of her eyes. It's so sad. And he tells her that she deserves a break too. And that it's, it wasn't so long ago that he was desperate and that as soon as he gets the money for the song, he'll see to it that she gets her share because he couldn't have finished it without her. Which was good to hear, but... But she responds with, oh, I don't expect anything. It was all you. It's, it's a very 1940s supportive woman line. We cut back to Vivian and they're in the office. Uh, there's not a lot of settings in this movie. This is Mr. Mac Millen? Yes. And he's the manager of the club, the Swan yeah. Club. The Swan Club. Vivian, it turns out, is the biggest stockholder in the Swan Club. And she basically insists that they fire their current leading talent and put Bob in because she's into him. The manager accuses her of just having a yearn for Bob. Yes. And reminds her that she's engaged to Ralph Williams. Yep. Which previously we didn't know and Bob definitely doesn't know. We also get the line from the manager, do what you please. And she goes, that's what I intend to do. So as much as I don't like Vivian as a character, there were a couple of lines that were just pretty good. He then tells her, well, it's your money and your funeral. Yep. But at this point, Bob and his publicity agent, it turns out, show up. And we find out that the name of the club is being changed from the Swan Club to the Cinderella Club. And Bob goes, well, I hope I'm good enough. And Vivian responds with, oh, you will be. She then says that there's something she wants to discuss with him. Oh, yeah. And she kind of walks him over to a sofa in the office. And the manager and the press agent kind of look at them and leave, even though it's the manager's office, because they're clearly about to canoodle. Yeah, from a modern standpoint, that, that is in fact not what happens, but... Well, when I say canoodle, I mean, like, sit closely and flirt. Yes, 1940s canoodling. We get a poster about... Cinderella Club opening night featuring Bob Jordan. And his Cinderella Orchestra. And his Cinderella Orchestra. We see the previous talent has been fired and real salty about it, saying, you know, I was here and I did good work and I filled the house every night. And the only reason I got fired is because Vivian's into Bob. They tell us this a lot. The movie wants to make absolutely certain that we know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to the boarding house and Barbara is in a really pretty dress. It's kind of a weird dress, but it's pretty. It's got a low waistline, three-quarter sleeves with lacy mm, trailing bits, a sweetheart neckline. She's got a slim skirt, but it's got gathers and flounces. So it doesn't look very 1940s, but it doesn't look like it's anything else either. It, it looks like someone took a dress from the 1780s took all of the petticoats out and then just put some sparkles on it, it, it it's kind of weird it looks really good on her but it's weird and she's got a little shawl over her shoulders and they 
are clearly getting ready in their, their finery to go to this opening night, which we now cut back to. How would you describe the first number that we see at the club? There are a lot of musical numbers and every time we're at a club or at a bar, there'll be multiple music numbers back to back. And sometimes they're just there to be there. This is also an artifact of the forties. This was a really fun way to showcase singers and dancers and musicians in a way that could get them noticed by greater audiences. So this is a common thing in movies from that time. What's happening on stage is that there's a guy with really big ruffly sleeves and really big ruffly pants and a very wide flat hat. And he is drumming and singing. And he's joined by a female dancer who is wearing sort of a bandeau top that sort of matches and a skirt that is slit and she has shorts underneath it. And she has a skull bag with her. And then all of a sudden it stops being a drum routine and starts being a fire routine. And then it stops being a fire routine and becomes a fire eating routine. The, the dancing is impressive. Uh, it's a little, it's a little seizure is what it is. I, yeah, I was not expecting the fire eating. That caught me off guard. The fire eating was weird. But we're, we're done with this dance routine now, thank God. And we move on to our Cinderella song, which was a very schmaltzy song. It's he eminently... He it. <sighs> warbles. He warbles it. Because crooning suggests a melody or something enjoyable. There's no melodies. It's eminently unsingable. It doesn't have a chorus. It doesn't have a melody. It's way too high for him. It's a Cinderella love song, and he appears, Bob, Bob is singing it, and he appears to be singing it to a dude? Or is it just that the dude is in front of Barbara? I, I don't know. I thought that he had a very awkward demeanor when yes. he sang, because he would walk into the crowd, and then he would just stand there, kind of swaying and looking around, and he just seemed very uncomfortable. He's not a charismatic performer. He most certainly is not. To be fair, that was sort of the extent of what happened in the 40s. If you were going to be a classy singer, you weren't allowed to do pelvic gyrations or... Um, well, I don't think this is a song that calls for pelvic gyrations. Everything calls for pelvic gyrations. So the song goes, Cinderella sitting there feeling blue, pining for a love she never had. Cinderella, try to keep your chin up. He'll come back to you someday. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff in there about dry your tears. You were made, you were meant for love, not for sighing. And the song ends with Cinderella, here's your fella now. And it's supposed to be like this big ending, but it's a little flat. It's very flat. Barbara makes big eyebrows at him the entire time. Like and in a flirty way. In a very flirty way. And Vivian is in a different corner, smiling knowingly. She's there with her fiance. She is there with her fiance. Uh, we then got a really weird line where the song ends and everyone applauses and we cut to Barbara and Barbara explains to us, I guess, that applause means that he's doing well. Yes, it means that he's a tremendous hit. Why did the movie think that we needed applause explained it to us? I Just to let us know that they're not just being polite and that they really like it. They really, really like it. Okay. I'll, I'll buy it. That's fine. That's good enough, I guess. So Vivian is, again, there with her fiancé, Ralph. 
and he is grumpy. He's very aware of the fact that she's into Bob. Mm-hmm. And based on what the manager said and based on the way Ralph is acting, this is like a very regular thing. Like it seems like she is using the club specifically as a dating service. Yes. Yeah. So she a- attempts to say, oh, it's just business. At which point we get another song. The song is Ring Around the Rosie, which I liked. This was a danceable song, sort of slow swing, had a melody, had a chorus. Had I like the line, make that chick my bride. And also the line, you've got skin like a baby. To be fair, this was the 40s and that wasn't weird then. And I grew up with too much 40s music to think it's weird now. So I'm fine with this. I didn't love the song. I liked the band. The band playing was very, very good. And it was another one of those where there was a lot of different solos. Yep. Really showcasing the different performers playing instruments they don't know or understand. This was sort of the height of the big band craze. And big band is just one of the best sounds. It's, it's just so much fun. You can do so much music. You can do so many solos. You get this really just immersive experience with a big band and it's a shame that it isn't really a thing anymore it came back for a second in the 90s or something and then just it's out now barney the old talent is at the bar again grousing saying that you know bob won't last long once vivian gets tired of him he'll be out his his most common refrain is that bob only has the one song in him and he'll never write anything else again yeah. Which I think is an incredibly incisive and insightful criticism of him. Yeah. Um, Barney, as much as I think he is sort of portrayed to be sort of uh, an antagonist, is clearly correct in all of his assessments of everything. So, uh, yeah. So Lester Green, the press agent, comes over to the table where all the guests from the boarding house are sitting. Um, and he's there because Bob asked him to entertain them. And he encounters the great Joseph, who he's told is one of the greatest mind readers ever. And Joseph has brought a crystal ball with him to the club and is wearing his full fortune teller gear. Yeah, and yeah. he's doing like a reading for Lester Green, the press agent. And he goes, ah, yes, I see a great brain bursting for more room. And He's charmed Lester immediately with this, who's like, say, you're terrific. How'd you like to make some money? And the great Joseph very solemnly goes, I'm not interested in money. And then he goes, how much? And <laughs> he's in. It, it's cute. And the two guys that are always with him are like, wow, he's going to go to parties. He's going to meet women. What are we waiting for? We got to go too. And they follow them out. So then Barbara is left alone at the table when Bob shows up. And she tells him you were swell, the crowd loved you. And he can't get past the last line of the song, by which I thought he meant he was stuck emotionally. But it turns out that he can't remember the lyrics. Yep. Uh, Barbara, ever the problem solver, suggests that he hold a slipper in which he could write all the lyrics. It is a solution. Technically, it is a solution. I don't think he should do that. She says that she can't offer her shoes because they have dancing plates attached to them. Cinderella wasn't a dancer. And Cinderella wasn't a dancer. Well, I mean, 
she very clearly was. She went to a ball and danced with the prince. So what do you want from me? I'm just saying what Barbara said. Anyways, Vivian requests that Bob be brought over to her. And Ralph, her fiance, is very angry that it has taken them so long to get married, that their engagement has dragged on for so long. And that people are beginning to wonder. He kind of storms off. Vivian pulls Bob into the office. She's wearing a different, uh, really low-cut Jessica Rabbit dress with diagonal sparklies on it. And she just leans herself backwards over this desk very seductively. He's not involved. She's just being seductive on a desk. And It's kind of like when Lola tries to seduce the main guy in Damn Yankees. Yeah. Where she's doing a lot of work for someone who's just not picking up on any of it. Yeah, my notes go, she seduces him badly. It's not her fault. I think she's doing a great job. She leans backward. She's like, well, Mr. Robert Jordan, what do you have to say for yourself? It's very like, come hither. And he tells her, I suppose I had to let you do all the talking. She tells him, you can talk if you want to. And then she leans really close to him and is like, do you want to? And then her lips are like right on his lips. She's clearly trying to initiate a kiss. When you get that close to someone's face, they're supposed to also lean in to kiss you. And if they don't, you're not supposed to kiss them. Viv did not get this memo. So she starts just sort of brushing her lips against him. He's not responding in any way. So she just sort of starts to eat his face. And I guess that's where we go for romance because we leave that scene now. We go back to Barney who is still complaining to his friends. And now he's moved on to complaining about how this is because he wouldn't play games with Vivian. And do you know about how she's, you know, treating her poor fiance? And then the poor fiance is right next to him and he like points him out to his friends. Yep. So this leads us right into a whole bunch of newspaper clippings of town gossip, all about how Vivian has been seen around town with Bob. It's very scandalous. And it seems that she's been seen seen around town with Bob every night because he's been late to rehearsal every night. Mm -hmm. As an exposition dump, I do not mind gossip rags. I, I think that is a perfectly acceptable exposition. I don't think we needed it. I think we already saw people gossiping about them. I I think it would have been better if it wasn't Barney gossiping, because that kind of confuses the issue. I think it would have been better if somebody else was kind of like, oh, you know that guy? That's her fiance. And then they kind of like giggle and look away. But it is a good explanation for why he's late, because it doesn't make any sense that as a struggling musician, he would be late to his own rehearsal. That does not make sense. So we, we cut to rehearsal now where Bob is late again and uh, the manager, McMillan, is mad about it. So we cut back to the boarding house and Mama Keys is sitting in a chair reading this gossip column and Barbara walks in and Mama Keys rapidly hides the paper and Barbara says, oh, don't hide it. I know, I know what you're reading. She says it's just one of those things that couldn't be helped and she's kind of accepted it. She says that it's the glamour, it's romance with all the trimmings. And she seems just very resigned to the fact that she's been passed over for somebody more exciting and more glamorous. Well, we get this line from Mama Key, which is, I don't know why he keeps his room here. He never comes back anymore. And 
Barbara says, oh, well, he's just afraid of disappointing you. And Mama Keys very sulkily responds that that is 100% not the case. And then we get this terrible line from Barbara where she goes, I knew I could never be the one. And I was just so mad because y'all, I want to be clear. Barbara is a cutie. She is so cute. She's also way more talented than Bob. Yeah, because we hear her sing in an upcoming scene. And it turns out she can sing like an angel. She is gorgeous. She's hardworking. She is a creative, effective problem solver. And she can sing like an angel. So I don't know where this self-doubt is coming from. And I don't appreciate it. No oh, one I ever... know where I know where the self-doubt is coming from. It's coming from Bob passing her over. Here's the thing. A lot of times in movies, you get the scene where the where the leading lady is saying, Oh, I'm not good enough, or oh, I'm not special enough. And it's a supermodel. Oh, I'm not pretty enough. I hate you. And it feels very trite. It feels very fishing for compliments. This felt really tragic to me because Barbara is very clearly not fishing for compliments. She is explaining reality as she sees it, which is one where she does not see her own strength, beauty, problem solving, musicality. She just she just sees herself as being continually not enough. And it was, I found it really tragic. That's the scene that made me not want her to end up with Bob because yeah. if Bob makes her feel that way, she needs somebody better get us a better singer a handsomer man like she needs to be swept off her feet only the best for barbara yes only and we find out later there are plenty of handsomer men and better singers so the movie abounds with them in the in this film that she interacts with it's just very frustrating it is but after this extremely tragic revelation barbara reveals that she has gotten a job at the hangout club which is not a fancy joint but it is respectable it's mostly musicians and she reiterates that she was born for show business so our next scene is back with vivian and her fiance and they're arguing again because he has also seen the gossip and he's asking her how do you suppose i feel about all this and she tries to say that it's an innocent friendship but They're also having this conversation with the manager of the club who's complaining that Bob is never around. And Ralph, the fiance, wants Bob fired. Mm -hmm. And he wants Barney Ray back. And Vivian is making the case for Bob and how he's a better singer. And her fiance goes, well, at least Barney Ray showed up. That's more than your lover does. And she goes, do you know what you just said? and slaps him across the face and is basically like, now you won't say that anymore. Oh, oh no, 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 I'm so sorry. The line is, that ought to keep you quiet for a while. For her, from her. And I was just, that was not a line I was expecting from Vivian. So that happens. And he threatens to inform the newspapers that their engagement is off. He's not even threatening to like break up with her. He's threatening to publicly break up with her. And he's going to inform the world that Vivian and he are finished. And then she immediately changes her tune and she's begging him, please don't. And she's kind of like, we'll do what you want. We'll fire Bob, whatever you want to do. And he goes, well, now you're being sensible. 
Yeah. Peak unhealthy relationship right there. We were also told that Vivian is using Ralph for social clout. And so it would ruin her reputation if they broke up. Upon these lines being delivered, Bob enters and is told that he's fired. He He also great. He does. He's again, there's nothing in the old brain pan. This guy does not have two thoughts to rub together. But at this point, he is introduced to Ralph as Vivian's fiance. Vivian has not said a word during this entire interaction. Nope. Until he's like, well, what about Vivian? What do you think of all this? And she says, I'm afraid you misunderstood our friendship, Robert. I was trying to be nice to you, but you permitted yourself to go too far. She's saying that she sidles over to Ralph and sort of links her arm with his. And this was the only moment that I liked Bob. He starts to say, but that's not and then stops himself and goes, I see how it is. And he leaves saying, thanks for the buggy ride, which we had a fun moment about in the chat. Talon, do you want to clue our listeners into what happened? So I thought that was a sexual innuendo where he was like thanking her for the time they spent together. It is not, in fact. Uh, it is slang for you've wasted my time. It is a, a, a wild goose chase. Ah, uh, Yes. So that's what that means. So he gives his notice. The manager says, we'll give you two weeks salary and we'll drop this whole thing. And both of them seem like pretty chill about it. No one's really mad about in this scene. Everybody's pretty fine. We then cut to the hangout club and there's four guys singing together. And the one that we see first has way more charisma and like a better voice than our lead Bob and I was like why not this guy why not this guy what happens to this guy because he's got such a good voice well it turns out later that he's like the bartender yeah yeah no that turns out to be the bartender of all people uh we get a song called Dizzy Lizzie which is great it is on the theme of I love this woman who is very oddly proportioned I have a sea shanty and a camp song as a child based on a similar premise of I love this woman. She's shaped extremely strangely. Then we immediately get another song. So all the jokes in the Lizzie song are that her legs are long and they're literally like she lays down in the kitchen, but her legs are in the hall. Yep. It's a line from a sea shanty as well. You know, she went across the river, but she just stepped over it. It's a genre of songs. Just trust me. There is a it's genre. It's a very silly song and it's it's quite catchy. And oh. Do they do like a barbershop quartet? Is that what's happening? Or is it just four people singing and I don't know anything about music? I did not catch any barbershop quartet. I'm sure I would have written it down. It, they're just singing. But it's real dancey. It's a nice swingy tune. I would love to dance to this. It's a good song. So the song ends and there is a moment of conversation. I completely missed the conversation. So the bartender chases a girl by dropping down and bending his knees and being kind of like a creep about it. Oh, yeah, that's it. Which that I didn't is... love. No. And we see that there's a man sitting at the bar, and it's Barney Ray, and he's got two girls on either side of him. And oh. he's hanging out at the Hangout Club, which is his favorite club. Okay, so thank, God that's, at. thank God that's Barney, because I could not recognize him, and I was, I was just 
Are you introducing a new character now? I pieced Who- it back together later. Oh, thank God. Because that makes so, it makes the rest of my notes make so much more sense. So they're kind of like, oh man, that guy's a character. And then attention is drawn to Barney Ray sitting at the bar. And the announcer says, oh, this is Barney Ray, a great singer of songs and lead of the Swan Club. And Barney's a little uncomfortable because he's not anymore, anymore. But, hopes- but he does think he will be again. And he's correct. And then he's like, oh, maybe if you all clap for him, he'll do a song for us. And then everyone claps. And he's like, okay, man, just like we rehearsed. And it's kind of like a joke. And it's cute. Um, And that's our next musical number, which happens right after the previous musical number. Again, this is very typical of this type of movie. And so I was fine. This is a more romantic song. And it's all like he'll count all the pebbles in the sand and all the stars in the sky i'd love to hold you in my arms if only you'd love me too that kind of thing um and it's such a great contrast to bob who doesn't understand romance as like a concept or why people might like it nope but his his slow sway romancy song is very effective we see a bunch of couples sort of snuggle into one another at this bar yes which by Mm -hmm. the way i would love to go to the hangout club the Hangout Club sounds like so much fun. I was a big fan of both of these clubs. This is so we usually talk about whether we'd like to go to the ball in each Cinderella, just in terms of like whether it looks like an actual good time. Both of these places look like an actual good time. They do, but the Hangout Club looks like much more of a good time for me, at least. the The Swan Club looks extremely ritzy, and I. I don't know that I would have an awesome time there but well at the swan club somebody might come up to you and sing directly at you which is my worst nightmare that's fair that makes sense knowing you as a person so Barbara shows up uh, because she's at work and she works here now she's wearing this really pretty lace top long-sleeved high-collared ensemble with sort of a faux corset going on and her hair is just it's up and it's really intricate and it's stylized but it doesn't look mm, pretentious it's just so pretty so does she get another job offer in this scene so this is barney ray so barney ray sees barbara and invites her to work with him and it's unclear whether he's heard her sing yet at this point it mm-hmm. sounds like he hasn't, and it sounds like he's just hitting on her in a gross, let me be your employer kind of way. Um, and then he says, I drink here all the time. I know what this place pays. And she agrees to sing a song that she'd like for him to hear. And she sings the Cinderella song. And she sings it a lot better than Bob does. She sings it so much better than bob does and we decided this song works much better when it's sung by a woman it does not work well as a male song song one it's in her freaking vocal range so she does not sound like she's being kicked when she tries to hit the high notes it's also that this song has when sung by a woman it has a sense of sisterly solidarity or if you're singing singing it about yourself it's it's a supportive song it feels encouraging or empowering um as opposed to being a guy just watching a woman be sad and saying 
It's all right, honey. Dry your tears and smile for me. When a woman tells you, hey, you know, it's going to be good. Just dry your tears. We'll smile and we'll, it's, it has a different feel and it's better. And she, again, sings like an angel. So this is a really enjoyable song. Unfortunately, Barney Ray has some strong feelings about this song. Oh, he sure does. And he realizes what's happening and he goes to his friends, wait till she finishes, watch me have some fun. And then I like in my notes, just put three sad frowny faces because I don't want anybody to have any fun at Barbara's expense. So she does the big ending, the here's your fella now, everyone claps. And she asks Barney Ray if he liked it. And he said, do you mind if I give you my version of the song? And he sings... To the same melody, Cinderella's looking for Bob Jordan, but she's not the girl that he adores. He's been going out with Vivian until her future husband got sore. I was so mad. I was so angry. This is an incredibly dick move. I mean, he's called her out for having a thing for Bob Jordan. She's also at work. He's publicly humiliated her at work. Yes. He's throwing in her face the fact that she has an unrequited love. He's also pointing out that the person she's in love with is into somebody else who's not even in love with him. He's making her sound pathetic for being in love with somebody pathetic. Yep. However, this moment is salvaged by Barbara's response. She begins to forcibly yell at Barney for his terrible behavior she also stands up for bob saying he's you know a better singer than you'll ever be and just faithful girlfriend act and then she hits him and storms off and she reads him quite a riot act it was lengthy and extensive and she was she was mad and i believed it and i felt that that salvaged the moment i will not forgive barney for his behavior but i was really pleased that instead of her just doing the oh how could you burst into tears and run off her response is to yell at him and she's doing the thing that women do where they get really angry and they cry and guys go oh you're just you always use tears when an argument and the response is like no i i'm crying because i know i can't murder you i'm these are (laughs) tears of frustrated rage because i know that murder is illegal you may be projecting just a teensy bit there no i don't think so I think this is a universal experience. <laughs> Maybe a little. So Barney Ray orders a double and goes, boy, I wish I had fans like that. Maybe and you weren't such a dick. Yeah. And then in walks Bob. Yep. And sits down with him yep. and orders a ginger ale and basically apologizes to him for getting him kicked out of the club as like the lead the headliner of the club well so what happens is that barney is continually lobbing him invitations to an altercation just you only got that job because of Vivian. yeah i know man she played me i'm a i was my place yeah i know it was yours and it was wrong of me to take it and bob through goodwill or again stupidity does not pick up on any of this and just cheerfully deflects all 37 invitations to fight and finally 
Barney goes, well, I guess you're kind of a cool dude. And they shake hands. Yeah, Bob ends with the line, you have a reason for being sore, but I didn't mean anything by it. And what can you say to that? Like, how yeah. can you not how can you not be like oh man okay and at this moment lester the press agent press agent i wanted to say press secretary and i knew that that was incorrect lester the press agent walks in and goes wow i never thought i'd see you shaking hands and and the manager mcmillan is looking for barney ray dead or alive but I think the audience still wants Bob. I think that that information is communicated. Yes. Yeah, so the manager is trying to get Barney to come back because Bob's just not showing up. And yeah. Bob is definitely fired. They don't want Bob back. But the audience wants Bob back. So the solution that the press agent comes up with is that Barney will be the band leader and Bob will be his singer. And... The press agent gets this repeated line of, am I a press agent or am I a press agent? And it's, it's supposed to be a running joke because it runs, but it, it does not joke. So uh, we just get that line a whole bunch of times. His big idea is that they'll do the Cinderella song and as a gimmick, they'll invite all these women to bring in their slipper and Bob's gonna pick a slipper and it'll be like Cinderella slipper. And the girl that's picked will win a cash prize. And if she can sing the Cinderella song, she'll sing it with Bob. And gosh, wouldn't that be any girl's dream come true? Yes. And then they have this thing about doing like a court with 12 couples and doing like ladies in waiting for Cinderella. And I didn't understand it that time. And I didn't understand it when they brought it up again. But it makes I it sound like the homecoming court. I completely missed it the first time. And so it made extra no sense when it comes back. This conversation, by the way, is happening between Lester and the manager and Vivian and Ralph in the office. And no one really likes this idea. No one's a fan of this idea. And Lester sort of grumpily goes, I'm a press agent. I know what I'm talking about and leaves the room. And they basically say, well, what do we have left to lose? We then have another long no vocals, just very jazzy song, which I did not enjoy. There's a lot of different flourishes and people kind of like showing up and it was very impressive, but it wasn't very fun. Yes, agreed. Vivian sort of slinks up to Bob and says, oh, I had to let you go. My reputation was at stake, but I, I can't let you go. And he was genuinely very upset to find out that she was engaged because he thought that she was single. And he is, you know, stupid and tone deaf but he's he's very honorable so he's genuinely not interested in her whatsoever if she's not available so he very much just sort of shrugs her off his response is are you kidding yeah it's great and just sort of shakes her off of his arm it's fabulous and she's dressed all in fur and sparkles with this weird sparkle babushka it's it's insane we find another musical number yeah deke watson and the brown dots Yep. And I actually really like this one. This was a good song. So the song goes, please tell me, is it right for me to love you after what you've done? Even though I know you've never really loved anyone. They're all singing it to this one girl in the audience. And I don't know who this girl is because it's not Barbara. Because Barbara is also in the audience, but sitting in a different place 
and is like a different person. And then since it's all being sung to this one girl, everyone gets up from their seats and just crowds around so they can get closer and see. And this girl is smiling the whole time, but I kept picturing what it would be like if you oh. were being sung to and everybody just mobbed your table. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable moment. And then the most baffling scene happens. Liv, please take it away. This is where my notes go into all caps. Bob walks up and stops in his tracks as he sees someone he has not seen in a long time. It is Freddie Bartholomew, who was a very famous child actor, who is there as himself. He's not there as a character. He's there as Freddie Bartholomew, the adult. And he goes on the weirdest cameo I have ever seen in my life. It's a long monologue where he goes in a very strange Boston accent. If you're used, if you've seen Freddie Bartholomew in anything, he's a London accent. He sounds like a top. And he's got this weird Bostonian, New York, whatever American accent. And he just goes, oh, I know you were going to say, well, you're all grown up. I sure have. I'm looking for a thing to sell in another show. And, and then we get to hear about these other shows that have been offered to him. He's got these writers and they've written bits for him and he's trying to put together a show and he does all of these bits. Every time you think that he's done, Bob eggs him on and is like, oh, well, what did your other writer come up with? Oh, don't you have any more? Oh, don't it's... you have one about being British? I thought you'd have one about being British. Yeah. There's so, so many numbers yeah. and we just sit there listening to them my sanity fled the room so freddie bartholomew references movies that he's been in that i've seen in our beloved classics of my childhood so i uh hated this he he's doing this weird skit with a scottish accent so following up on the ducktail cinderella i think we are being haunted by the ghost of scotland <laughs> what have we ever done to scotland i don't know i did we make a mean scots joke at some point i don't think we did no, but he does. Multiple. He does. So he does this first Scottish skit, and then we do another Scottish skit, and then Bob eggs him on and says, oh, everyone's used to you as being English. Surely you'd have an English stick. So he does an English gag, and his English voice sounds so much like him as a kid. I, I started making a very high-pitched sound without stopping at my computer. And then we think we're done because we've done two Scottish gigs, and an English gag, and surely we're done. But no, no, Bob, stupid Bob, has to go, well, what else was there? And Freddie Bartholomew goes, well, one of my managers wanted me to do Shakespeare. And the chat just devolved into all caps, no, 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 do not do Shakespeare. I don't want you to do Shakespeare, but he does, he does. He does the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet, and he doesn't want to do it though. So I don't know why he made, himself do that and ourselves do that and then we get the line you can't just come out on stage and start reciting Shakespeare it just isn't done help me my, my next line is Bob escapes the cameo Bob says you need a musical number to round it out and they talk about how Freddie from Hollywood has learned some instrument or other from a mutual friend and then it's time for the Cinderella song again. Bob escapes the cam. Bob flees the cameo. It's the I... longest cameo in the world. 
it's so jarring it adds nothing it was the most white thing you could have possibly put in this movie <laughs> agreed could, could we come up with a whiter thing to put in this movie like what what would be whiter than a random old freddie bartholomew doing a scottish British child star comes on to monologue at the main character just derailing the story and grinding the plot to a halt just a screeching crashing crushing halt <laughs> I'm, I'm never gonna be okay again but we we have to move on now um because the announcer is announcing that the contest is about to start and he announces it with the line how many of you ladies would rather have a hundred dollars than a prince which there was some pleased murmuring about so i um I don't know why he chose to make that point. That seems like a point that's better left unmade, but Well, because they get a cash prize. They do. They're not promising them a prince is what they're saying. They're not promising a romantic relationship, but they are promising cold, hard cash. So I guess this movie has learned that it is not a great idea to physically auction off a person at a ball for romance. We have that as a plot point in movies like, fairly recently yeah i don't it's bizarre so uh we then get a couple of random girls talking about how excited they are is one of them wearing a miss philadelphia sash she sure is okay good we then get a long line of shoes bob is walking up and down and testing the shoes like they're melons he's examining them and he's like kind of picking them up like he's checking the weight which i thought was really funny Again, this is someone who has gone to pick out fruit that they've never bought before. And they're trying to determine, is this the right amount of, of squishy that we want for this fruit? Is this too much squishy? Is this, what do I want? Just tell me what I want. He's doing that with shoes. No, no, no. He's very, he's very deliberate about it. He's not squeezing any of them. He's not being like weird about any of them. He's just testing them for something. And we figure out when he finds the shoe that has the the tap plates attached to it he's checking the weight to see if they have metal in them i think he's just randomly picking them up and picks up one and notices that it does have taps sewn in, or taps attached to it at which point we get this cute little circle vignette in the corner that replays the scene that we had when barbara tells him that she can't give him her shoes because they have taps in them in case the movie thought we forgot that in the last 45 minutes. Which, you know what? I find that helpful sometimes. Not everybody's taking notes as they watch a movie. I still would have remembered that. That was a, It was clearly a line said for a reason. It was a line with capital M meaning attached to it. So he picks that shoe. And Barbara sort of smiles and does like, a, oh, you sort of thing. And they announce that she's pretty enough for any Prince Charming, and she kisses the band leader on the cheek and then gives Bob a kiss on the cheek. Yep. And then um, they sing the Cinderella song, and she's singing it from her point of view, singing, I'm Cinderella. And again, this song gets so much better when she sings it. She's also wearing a different dress now. It's got sort of zigzaggy stripes on it that are tighter at the bodice and wider spread on the skirt that's got a bunch of ruches but it's not ruffled it's just straight clean lines it looks beautiful on her and unfortunately bob decides to sing with her thus their voices the don't blend well they don't 
they do not blend well. Mama Keys is there looking very excited. She toasts them with a tiny glass of claret or sherry or some alcoholically feminine drink um, and is generally very happy that they've wound up together. And they sing a duet and they end in, I wanted to type harmony, but it's not harmony because his voice is just oof. His voice is no thank you. And Barbara says to him, I'm not going to let you get away this time. And Lester, our beloved press agent, rolls in and goes, well, if that's how you both feel, then I'll marry you right now. Boy, am I a press agent or what? Yup. Then Bob says, that's a clever trick you pulled, darling. And she goes, only in the movies can you get away with that. And, and then they press their faces cheek to cheek and he makes the okay sign with his fingers. Yep. Vivian and Ralph are at a table. She's scowling. He's grinning. This is the first time we've seen him smile. He's never looked happy sitting at a table with Vivian. We then start to play the musical part of the Cinderella song again. The preacher bows a couple of times. And then the singing starts again. Singing the Cinderella song for the fifth time now. Because it was a really good song and they wanted us to hear it five times. And then we're just done with the movie. So I guess the preacher bowing was all that we needed to get them to be well, legally we saw, married. We saw that they kiss. Oh. It's a scene where we hear singing and we don't hear any of the voices while they're getting married. But they do come to the front and they're like standing in front of each other and holding hands. So they get married, they kiss, the end. We, we get the Cinderella song again. And we're done. We're done. We're blessedly finished with this incredibly weird experience. Yeah. So, what would you say your highs and lows are, Talon? I really liked a couple of the songs. I liked the Long Leg Lizzie song a lot, actually. I thought it was really fun. And all of the guys singing it, especially that bartender, were like very charming, very good vocalists. And he, in particular, was like very expressive. And mm -hmm. I just, I had such a hard time sitting and listening to song after song after song. And then he came on and I was like, oh, okay, I'm having fun. So that was definitely a high for me. Mm -hmm. Agreed, yeah. My low has got to be the way that Barney Ray sings at Barbara to mock her. Aww. And then immediately after makes up with Bob. So it's not so much that I dislike that scene by itself. It's that, that right afterwards, he and Bob are a-okay. And Bob doesn't know that this man was just incredibly cruel to a woman he, at the very least, cares about. You've stolen both of my highs and lows. Um, so let me come up with some new highs and lows real quick. I think my high has to be Barbara. Her, her singing was excellent. It's the 1940s, so acting had sort of a stilted effect. It, it was, it's not modern acting. There were conventions that seemed bizarre to us. weird to us now yeah so th there were that but she acted well she exhibits a wide range of emotions she sings gorgeously she's a good character she's not spineless for all that she does still match the 1940s good girl trope which i really enjoyed so i every time that barbara was on screen even if i didn't really agree with what she was doing i was having a good time and my low I would say that my low in terms of things that detracted from the movie for me was the entire Great Joseph arc. What the heck? 
it never tied into anything he no one ever needed a crystal ball and he happened to have one on hand he didn't ever magically come up with something really insightful that made a difference to like the plot or anything so i was just i was confused that it was there it seemed as a purpose only to introduce characters that we could very easily introduce any other way. So I just, I didn't like that. Okay, I actually really love the trope of a bunch of people live in a, like a boarding house and they're all weirdos. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can I change my low? Yeah. Okay, it's the Freddie Bartholomew cameo. I, I had deleted it in the 10 minutes since we've talked about it. I was wondering why you weren't saying that. Because I, I tried so hard to erase it, and I was effective. Uh, that, I hated that. And I love Freddie Bartholomew, but I hated that. I hated it so much. It was so weird. And then it was Scottish, and it went on forever, and there was Shakespeare. And how very dare you, sir? How dare you? Go away. This is not your space. Leave. Shoo. Be gone. I read up a little bit about it, and it looks like they were trying to get him back into, like, movies after he was in the war mm -hmm. and this is how they decided to do it well they would remind everybody that they liked him once upon a time and they wanted to see him and stuff again spoilers that didn't happen they really was... thought that they were doing something nope he was a child star and he was an excellent child star he's a really good actor you wouldn't know it from this movie but but he's a really good actor his his movies are phenomenal captain's courageous is quite literally one of the best movies ever made it's so good that i can only watch it once every 10 or 15 years it's it's phenomenal so he he is truly an excellent actor which is why i found this so upsetting on so many different levels so what would you change about this movie oh cut that cameo out keep stealing my everything <laughs> I mean, okay. it's so easy. All it's, you have to do is just cut the film and cut the film again and then just glue them together. together. And yep. that's it. It's that's perfect. It. You yep. just don't need him in it. For no reason. Yeah. I wish that that had added anything. If, if he'd introduced a piece of information or if he'd been the person to invite Barbara or something. If he'd, if he'd done literally anything. But no, it was just it was stupid. If he had been the one to introduce him to Vivian at the first party. Oh, that would have been fine that would have been fine it wouldn't have been fine it would have been terrible but it would have been better less bad less awful less awful i also would have loved a different character instead of bob like i just want bob to be better if bob's thing is that he's really naive and he got swept up into it i wish they'd really played that up because i felt like that i couldn't tell if he was naive or if he was just kind of sleazy, or what his deal was, if he really didn't know that Barbara was in love with him, or that he didn't notice her for some reason. I interpreted him to be thoughtless, which I think is worse. Oof. If someone is naive, they're unaware. Should they be less naive? Yes, they should be less naive, but they're not, so we work with what we have. And if someone is sleazy, we've learned something about them and they have an opportunity for growth. If someone is genuinely just thoughtless, that demonstrates a conscious decision to not care about another person that has dedicated a lot of time and effort to their financial success and who they protest to like. 
uh, for me, thoughtlessness is is the most offensive thing, and I found him to be very thoughtless. So agreed. I would like to cast literally anybody else as Bob, but I got to pick. He something. doesn't have to be recast. I just want a different personality. Oh no, I insist that he be recast because he also couldn't sing. So, <laughs> and I didn't find him handsome. So I would very much like somebody else. If they had switched Bob and Barney, I would have been fine. Because Barney could sing and he was a good enough looking dude. Yes. I liked him right up until he sang his little song. Yeah. His little Cinderella parody. And then I stopped liking him. So, yeah. So, again, you have stolen both of the things that I would change. So, if I had to change something other than those two things, uh, I would get rid of that Barney sings to Vivian moment. Because it doesn't add anything to the plot. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me hate him. I didn't need that intersection between Barney nope. and Barbara at all. Like she nope. could have just been singing and he could have been at the bar and been like, wow, she sure sings good, but I hate that song. Or like, oh, I wish I had fans like that. I just, they could have just, again, with the snip snip and then not have that scene because it didn't add anything and I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have recast Bob if I couldn't, you know, do all the other changes. Which is weird because he's played by um, Billy Daniels, who like is supposed to be really, really good. Like he's saying that old black magic. He's got a really like big filmography and discography. I did not enjoy his performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do we think this is a Cinderella? No. Because the Cinderella beats of like working hard and getting your wish, your dream come true, those went to Bob, but then the pining for like a prince bits went to Barbara. No, I so I they think kind that, of split it between no, the think, two of them. I, I think she worked hard. That was her. She helped him with a song and was and got a job at a nightclub. She was, yeah, she was, but we didn't follow that story. This was a Cinderella where we mostly watched The Prince. I think I would agree that this doesn't count as a Cinderella because there was no impediment to her going to the ball. Mm -hmm. If the boss of the hangout club had been a mean boss Mm -hmm. and had pulled a, you have to work tonight or something, and someone had come in to talk to the boss or to distract him while she left or to get her to be able to go to this final night that bob was gonna sing i think then you could definitely say this is a cinderella but there was never any impediment to her going literally wherever she wanted there's none of the cinderella tropes you know there's not i mean there's a party and a shoe yes but her shoe is picked out of a bunch of shoes which is kind of the opposite of how cinderella works that is but but you'd have to pick a specific one to get the right girl well, we don't even know that he was aiming for the right girl. He yeah. literally could have just picked up a random shoe and been like this one and then saw that it had taps on it and was like, oh, oh maybe Barbara has taps. But like maybe other people have taps. How funny would it be if somebody else had had taps? Yeah, okay. So yeah, I don't think this is a Cinderella. Will you ever be watching this again? Probably not. Yeah, me neither. Although I, I am tempted to go watch Stormy Weather because similar film, but much better. Like it was fine, but I didn't love it. 
And I found a couple of the songs catchy and I might rewatch those clips again, but I never need to sit through another rendition of the Cinderella song from this movie again. Oh yeah, no. Five was enough. This is the third movie now where we've got a five reprise song. It's this is too the, many times. This is the third movie. A, a, I'm fine if you want to do a song and then have a reprise. Reprises are fine and they serve a purpose. But five? And they weren't even reprises. They were literally, we're going to sing the whole song again. Well, I hated that they sang it at the end. And then you thought the movie was ending. And then they sang it a second time back to back. Yeah, the two Cinderella songs literally back to back at the end threw me. I thought that they were going to not do that i thought that maybe they were going to end on the music but not actually sing it one more time because it just it was so weird especially since it ends on the line here's your fella now and like our fella was so such a letdown such a letdown Ugh. Ugh. so yeah no i won't be watching this again do you think our listeners should watch this i think our listeners could definitely check this out i'm gonna say no um, listeners, if you would like to get a taste of a really fun race movie from around this time period, watch Stormy Weather instead. Um, it's got better songs. It has the Nicholas Brothers, who do the best dance scene quite literally in the history of the universe. It's got Cab Calloway singing, and as a character, it's more fun, and I like it more. So if you want to get a sense of what this type of movie is like, not this one. Go go watch Stormy Web. Yeah, this is definitely my first experience with the genre of race films, so I'm going to trust your opinion on that and also watch Stormy Weather. Oh, I, I, I cannot wait to hear about it because it's really fun and I like it. There are a couple of gross race moments because it was made in 1938. And what are you going to do? So what final grade would you give this movie? I think this movie is a B minus. Okay. I think that as a movie, it functioned pretty well. The plot made sense and it had a lot of interesting characters and it had a lot of good songs. It had a lot of okay songs, but the prince was a dud. Yeah. And I just, it just wasn't very good. Maybe a C plus. Let's go with a C plus. Okay. How about you? It's definitely lower than your grade. I'm trying to figure out how much lower. Because I know what a good version of a race film is supposed to be, and this wasn't it. So losing some points there. Not a Cinderella, so you're losing some big points there. And you had that entire Freddie Bartholomew just nightmarish thing that happened to me, which I hated. Mm. So... My gut response was a C, but I think I'm going to go with a D plus because the more I think about it, the more I didn't enjoy this. Do you I'm, know that's exactly the experience that I just had too? Where yeah. I started out higher and then I kept thinking about all the individual things that irritated me. As a watching experience, this was not painful. I did not experience pain watching this except for that little, you know, three minute bit, five minute cameo. But other than that, I did not experience pain. This went fairly fast. The pacing was kind of slow and weird but it's a 40s movie i do not hate this movie by any means this movie does not earn my enmity or my hatred like i didn't feel like it was bad but there were a lot of things that were kind of annoying about it this is one of those things where you lose 
enough points on technicalities that you really should have just gotten correct, but for some reason chose not to, that you, you work yourself down to quite a low grade when like you, you put your name in the wrong corner of the paper and you type it in the wrong font and you turn it in a day late and you, you do the page numbers on the wrong corner. So your teacher takes off two points here and two points there and four points there and three points there. And your actual substance wasn't terrible, but you lost enough points on form that you wind up doing poorly. Mm. I did really like the songs. With the exception of the Cinderella song, all of the songs were really good. They were really catchy. I would love to dance with them. They were watching a big band swing movie was really enjoyable because it is one of my favorite genres. It's one of the most fun genres of music. And I was really happy that there was a Cinderella that included big band swing music. That was, this was delightful. And honestly, when we announced that we were gonna do this one, I was prepared for something very different. And I was, um, I was prepared for something horrific, just something nightmarish. And this was not nightmarish. This was genuinely pleasant to watch. If this was on a different podcast, I'd give it a higher grade, but this is partially on a Cinderella scale and it's not a Cinderella. So there's a, there's a limited amount you can do when you fail the, are you a Cinderella test? But yeah, the, this movie was, I don't resent this. This was a fun movie. Well, it's almost midnight, so thanks for joining us. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you, so follow us at CinderPod on Twitter and Instagram, like our Facebook page, or email us at thecinderellapodcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbity-bobbity bonus episodes or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella again, but with more adult beverages and the Ever After Party, please support us at patreon.com slash cinderpod. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod. You can find him at incompetech.com. So, Liv, what are we watching next week? Next week, we're going to watch The Glass Slipper from 1938. This is uh, an animated short by the Terry Toons, described as hit or miss, although this one is supposedly one of the better ones. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, until then, we hope you have a happily ever after.